0: this is the on the banks podcast follow us on twitter at otb underscore sb nation now here's your host lance glenn hello everyone i am of course your host lance glenn and this is episode 30 of the on the banks podcast if you don't already you can follow me on twitter at lance underscore g11 and of course you can follow on the banks on twitter as well at otb underscore sb nation if you want to listen to any of our previous episodes, you can find them on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Just search On The Banks Podcast. You can find them on SoundCloud. Just search OTB underscore SB Nation. And of course, you can find all of our episodes at OnTheBanks.com. Crazy that winter sports are in the second half of their schedules and spring sports such as baseball, softball, men's and women's lacrosse, and others are already beginning. For all the coverage of every sport going on, as well as those in their offseason, make sure to go to onthebanks.com. Yes, we have made it to 30 episodes, and I am very excited to bring you our next guest. To join me and talk about Rutgers football recruiting now that signing day has come and gone, I am pleased to be joined by senior writer and recruiting analyst for 24-7 sports, scarletnation.com, Bobby Darren. Before Bobby joins me, I want to give my general thoughts on the 2019 recruiting class. Like every year, there were some hits and there were some misses. I think Chris Ash and the staff deserve a lot of credit for fighting off fellow Big Ten teams for a handful of prospects like Aaron Young, Karon Adams, and Muhammad Teray. Even with the one and eleven season, keeping those guys committed to the program were huge recruiting victories for this team. I also think the staff got a late splash with Stanley King, a tall receiver standing at six five, still needs to add some weight, but I believe that he could be the big-bodied receiver this offense desperately needs. I think the position I'm most interested in seeing develop is the defensive line. Malachi Burby, Rayon Buell, Devin Baldwin—these three guys come into a position group on the team that needs to add depth. How quickly will these guys develop? Are they two to three-year projects? When can they really contribute to this team? This has been a position of weakness for Chris Ash and the staff's recruiting efforts the last few years, and it's one that certainly needed to add depth. Are these three guys the depth that the position needs? That's the question, and it'll—we'll see depending on how long it takes them, obviously, to develop. I really enjoy following recruiting. You know, there is never a straight line in it. These recruits think one thing one day and something different totally the next day. While it keeps it tense, I think it also keeps it exciting. I think overall, Rutgers got a solid class for what their record was. They added playmakers, they possibly found some diamonds in the rough, and I think some in this class could see starts next year and could provide a true impact in the 2019 season.
1: Time to talk to the reporters. Here's your host, Lance Glenn.
0: I am now very happy to be joined by the senior writer and recruiting analyst for 24-7 SportsScarlaNation.com, Bobby Darren. Bobby, thanks for giving me some of your time and coming on the podcast to talk Rutgers football recruiting.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for
0: having me. So before we talk about certain commits and position groups, let's talk about how the class turned out after the 1-11 and season. Obviously, the struggles on the field make recruiting more difficult, but with those difficulties this past year... What were your impressions on how the staff put together the twenty nineteen class and how they closed on I believe some pretty important recruits?
1: you know they they really when you look at the the, the entire scope of things they they did a decent job of of closing out and keeping guys committed um, coming off a one and eleven season. It's not that easy, especially when you have other teams recruiting against you in a negative fashion so um to be able to keep guys like K-Ron Adams after a big year, to get a flip like a guy from uh, Aaron Young—I mean, they were just huge. I mean, you added some transfers and and, and some quality players, and you know, it, it might not reflect it in in the overall rankings, but compared to you know. Or, given what the season was, I I think Chris Ashen Company did an excellent job. You know, there was some coaching uh, turnover as well. So to compensate for all that and come away with some decent players, some good transfers, some guys who can come in and play right away as well, um, I I think you have to give a a tip of the hat to Chris Ashen Company.
0: Looking now at the class after National Signing Day, which position group, in your opinion, is the strongest in this year's class? Is it running back with Adams and Young, linebacker with Ture, receiver with King, What do you think the staff did best or what position group do you think the staff best addressed this offseason?
1: Well, you know, you have to look at the Running Back, like you mentioned. I mean, K. Ryan Adams had a really good senior year. Big Ten schools were sniffing around after, you know, his senior campaign. Uh, Rutgers was on him early, and he, he really developed uh, from junior to senior year. So that was an excellent get. And, and Aaron Young, it can't be understated. I mean, this guy's just a dynamic playmaker, you know, top-ranked recruit in the class. To flip from Michigan State on signing day was big, too. It's You know, it, it, it gains momentum in the national spotlight as well. But, um, you know, it's hard to overlook that position with two key guys like that who can come in and contribute right away. And, you know, Aaron Young is a guy who can, you know, potentially be a big play guy right away. Um, you know, they're going to have to block for him on the line of scrimmage, but um, he's a guy that could make a difference this season. And, uh, you know, him and, and, and Cameron Adams could make a nice tandem.
0: You know, you mentioned both Adams and Young as players who can contribute right away. The running back position, however, certainly wasn't a weakness last season. Isaiah Pacheco and Raheem Blackshear, their two lead backs from last year, obviously are both returning. It's a crowded running back room now. What roles can you see both these guys playing alongside the two returning weapons in Pacheco and Blackshear?
1: I think you have to look at, uh, you know, John McNulty's going to do some different things with Raheem Blackshear. I mean, you know, he's not a guy that's going to carry 20 times a game, but he's a guy that can make things happen in space, and, and I think they're going to have some designed plays for him to get outside and, and utilize him in the passing game because he's one of the better playmakers on an offense that is really short on playmakers. So I think getting those guys will allow McNulty to do a little more with Blackshear. And then, you know, you have four guys that running backs take a beating. It's a position, you know, where... Where injuries are common, you know, even even if they're not, you know, uh, holding guys out of play, but you know, those guys just take a beating, so it's good to have depth in there, you know, just in case something happens. But um, you know, Pacheco's looked like he's he's ready to take the next step this year, and you know that that'll allow them to bring guy like Adams along a little slower, and not rush him into action. You know, you can get him those four games experience and still redshirt him if everyone stays healthy. But uh, I think Aaron Young will play a part in there too because. You know, you need playmakers. You've seen that offense the last few years, and, and it has struggled. Um, some of the guys just, you know, they can't make big plays. And, and when you have a, a boatload of guys in the backfield like that, you, you have to utilize them. And, and McGonkey said a few times last year during his weekly press conferences that, you know, he's going to try and find ways to, to get the best players on the field. If you remember, Pacheco was in that backfield at times with, with Black Shear. You know, there, there were times they had three guys in the backfield. So I think you're going to see him try and utilize those playmakers as best uh, as best as he can because there's there's not an abundance of them in the
0: offense you know the staff also dealt with some turnover Andy Boo replaced Jay Neiman AJ Blazik was replaced by Pete Rosamondo and there were other changes as well how did those staff changes affect Rutgers recruiting leading up to signing day with you know new coaches coming in and obviously having to build those relationships fairly quickly
1: you know, coaching turnover is common in the college ranks. <laughs> you look at most programs, guys are coming and going. It's kind of like a revolving door. Um, one of the things Rutgers does well is it doesn't assign specifically one uh, – coach to recruit a player you know chris ash will be involved they'll have an area recruiter and a position recruiter um you know sometimes those guys develop good relationships uh you know cj Hansen was, was very tight with a.j Blondick and the night before you know he actually left the job he, he contacted him and, and you know kind of smooth things over and, and that kind of solidified uh hanson's commitment to Rutgers uh, to want to stay there but um you know, to answer your question, I don't think it really impacted negatively. Um, Jay Neiman didn't do a lot of recruiting. Um, Blasic had some good ties, and, and as I mentioned with uh – CJ Hanson, he he was able to smooth that one over, but you know, it, it really the other position changes, it really or the other coaching changes, it really didn't factor into guys saying, well, I'm not going to go here if this guy's uh, had had left. And I think that's partly attributed to the group recruiting effort that these coaches do together. And um, you know, as you can see, they were able to hang on to uh, to all their pretty much all their guys.
0: You know, a big position of need for Rutgers in this class was defensive line. Rayon Buell, I think, will be a steal for the Scarlet Knights going forward. Devin Baldwin, Malachi Burby, also guys they brought in. These uh, recruits will need to all develop, obviously, which will take time. But do you think Ash and staff did enough to address this position that really has been a recruiting struggle for them since they took over a few years ago?
1: Well, you know, I was expecting to bring in a grad transfer, a junior college guy. They did try very hard with Jaden Cunningham, who wound up committing to um, Virginia Tech. He was a junior college guy out of Hutchinson, Kansas. Um, You know, he could have been a guy that plugged in right away and and made a difference. And, and, you know, defensive tackle recruiting just hasn't been that great. And this year there just wasn't a deep class for defensive tackles. And when you get into into December and January, you're really, you know, uh, it's really thin because – you know all the all the big-name guys have already been committed places so you're really trying to find those diamonds in the rough you know Buell you mentioned was an interesting one but he's gonna take a couple years to develop burby enrolled early and, you know, if he gains some size and, and acclimates quickly, you can see him maybe coming in and playing spot minutes as part of the rotation. But that's a position that's really tough to come in and play early because you have an 18-year-old kid uh, going against 22-year-old grown men who've been in his systems and just matured physically. And it's, it's just a nasty place, too. I mean, it, these guys take a beating down in the trench and – um. You know, it's tough for, for guys to come in early and play. So I think the the thought was to build some depth. But, um, you know, that's an area of concern. That's an area that really hasn't been addressed since Chris Ash took over. Um, you know, that, to me, is a concern heading into the season.
0: You know, Stanley King's recruitment took a lot of twists and turns, but he ultimately ended up at Rutgers. He's the highest-rated receiver in this class. He's an Under Armour All-American, a big receiver at 6'5". He may be the big receiver this program has been searching for. What do you think of Stanley King? You know, can he make an impact next year or does he need a redshirt year possibly to develop and add a little bit more weight to his already tall frame?
1: You know, I I saw Stanley the first time, you know, probably a freshman, uh, you know, a chance and then saw him in a couple games and and he was very raw. He had talent. I thought he was the best of the bunch at that school, you know, uh, even better than his brother, Trayvon, when he was younger than him. Um, But he's really progressed over the last couple of years and and you really see him fine tuning his game. He's developed into a really good receiver. You know, I had him as kind of an average, mediocre kind of three-star guy, and, and by the end of the season, he's really jumped up and and really elevated his play. Um, you know, the one concern is can he hold up? He, he he's on the lean side, so he's going to have to add some size. But he creates mismatches with his height, and if he can just get a little bit of separation, you know, he he can come in and play right away. You know, I mentioned earlier the lack of playmakers. This is a kid who can create plays on the the offensive end. And and he's a tireless worker, too. So this this is a kid that's going to be, you know, attacking every day, practice every day in the weight room. So, um, you know, I, I think some of the physical attributes will determine how much he plays this year. You know, can he withstand the you know, the punishment that you're going to take in the Big Ten. You know, you have some tough competition. But um I think he's going to be a guy that you look back and say, wow, this, this was a real steal in the class. Because he didn't have a ton going on at the end of his recruitment. A lot of spots were filled. You know, it, it just wasn't as, as busy. A lot of these guys, when they waited out, they don't have as many options. And, and Rutgers really lucked out with this one.
0: You know, that brings up an interesting point. Last year was the first year they instituted this early signing day. And, you know, I think it kind of minimized the importance of the original National Signing Day in February. What's your opinion on the early signing day in December? And how does it affect those kids who may wait too long and have schools that were once interested in them kind of just lock them out?
1: Well, you know, the early signing period, um, it's it's good for for a lot of reasons. You know, kids can get their spots in there. And it does negatively impact kids who kind of wait long, but it also positively impacts kids. Um, You know, look at a guy like Christian Mahogany who waited things out, an offensive lineman who Rutgers was in on and and didn't have a lot of options, uh, really didn't have much going on. And then when everybody else committed two days later, you know, he was getting offers because he was one of the best offensive linemen left. So in certain situations like that, it works out. If there's, you know, just a lack of guys, some of the guys available get artificially pushed up. But the key is, you know, certain positions, you know, there's only so much room. So, you know, running backs is, is a perfect example. You know, teams take one, maybe two, you know, per cycle. So those are they're kind of knotted up early. And, you know, guys who are still around December, January, you know, they don't have a ton of options. But, uh, you know, it's really the early signing period has taken over for National Signing Day. I mean, The the early signing period, to me now, is National Signing Day. You know, you just have so much more going on. And then afterwards, it's a unique situation because, you know, coaches are only going through it for the second year. So I think you have a lot of them feeling it out. But I think it's good because it gives kids another option. And, uh, you know, they can secure a spot early and it adds a little more intrigue to to the entire cycle.
0: I want to look at the quarterback position. Art Sidkowski returns as the starter. And, look, his freshman year obviously left a lot to be desired. Cole Snyder is coming in from New York, Zamar Wise possibly as well, and of course Rutgers got transferred Johnny Langan from Boston College, assuming that he's going to be able to play right away. Can any of them realistically challenge Art and compete for that starting job, or do you think going forward it's still Art's position to ultimately lose?
1: You know, it's so tough with with quarterbacks. There's so much that goes on beyond the physical aspect, And, and that's what you saw Art struggle with last year, you know, processing, you know, uh, certain schemes and reading defenses and not seeing defenders and, and and I think that's one of the biggest concerns because to me when you're a freshman quarterback even if you're you know go on to be a great quarterback you know freshman year is usually some struggles but you see glimpses of oh, wow you know make some plays and and, and you go you know this guy's going to be something special and, and you know I didn't see a ton of that with Art last year I mean he just struggled and struggled and struggled so. I mean, the door is open for someone to come in and, and take over. It's just so tough for a first-year guy in a new system to understand everything because everything's coming at him a million miles an hour. Um, I think the one guy you didn't mention, Jonathan Lewis, if, if he can you know, get back in a swing of things at the quarterback position will be an interesting one because they need him there for depth purposes. Um, you know, went out and recruited uh, Matt Alamo at the tight end position. Uh, he's going to be there with Travis Volpelec. So you have a couple stalwarts there at, at the tight end position. By the way, I think Alamo is, is a steal in the class as well. Highly touted recruit who came in from UCLA as a transfer. But um, getting back to Jonathan Lewis, I, I think he's a guy that's going to have to step up and maybe challenge hard a little bit because it's tough for a first-year guy to come in, learn the system, and, and like I said, process everything. So, uh, you know, some of those guys are kind of up against it.
0: You know, nine of the 21 kids either signed right now or committed are from New Jersey, almost half. But it seems like the staff wasn't in tough with many of the top 10 to 15 New Jersey guys as the first signing day came up and as the second signing day came and went. Do you see going forward with many of the top NJ players wanting to leave the state, the staff not necessarily ignoring them, but not pursuing them as heavily because the likelihood they come to Rutgers really isn't all that high?
1: Yeah, I think you hit it right on the head there. I think they're going to recruit them, but they're not going to, you know, put all their eggs in that basket. I mean, last year, if you if you go back, you know, the early junior days that they had, they had one specifically for the big North and a lot of the parochial prospects in New Jersey. And, and you know, it just didn't pan out. A lot of these kids just want to go away. and It seems like the farther you get from Rutgers sometimes, the better the reputation is, you know, academically and so forth. But you get some of those kids from those, those parochial schools up North and, They just want something different. And, um, you know, Chris Ash is starting to see that. He said, I can get the same type of talent in a lot of positions elsewhere. You know, I can go to Florida. I can go to Ohio. I can go to Georgia. You know, they're even down South Carolina doing recruiting. So, I mean, he's going to, you know, kind of canvas the country. And that's kind of what he was used to at Ohio State. You know, they recruited nationally. So, um, you know, he's trying to bring that to Rutgers. And and it's almost a necessity because some of these guys just are not, you know, you know, they're not biting, they're not going to Rutgers, so um, they have to kind of expand their recruiting reach. And I think it's a better move because I think a lot of New Jersey sometimes gets overrated. So, you know, some of the second-tier guys maybe wouldn't be as highly recruited or rated in other states. So um I, I think moving forward, you'll see them recruit New Jersey, but you're not going to see them prioritize it uh, throughout the whole process and-, and wait on some of these guys who, you know, kind of, you know, kind of procrastinate and, and, and kind of, you know, we're on the fence about things. I think, you know, if they're not in, they're going to say, all right, we're going elsewhere.
0: Looking at this class overall, is there one or two guys you see that weren't heavily recruited that maybe down the road can be diamonds in the rough for this class that can make an impact maybe next year even, or possibly two years or three years down the road?
1: You know, I, I always liked uh, Zakudo Iguanagu from uh, Worcester Academy in Massachusetts. Saw him at the, for the first time at the opening uh, the New York Jets facility at the Nike opening and, and really moved well. He's a tall guy, and, um, you know, for a safety, he, he was a little a little too big for a safety, so they're going to try him at linebacker. and I think he fits into that role. Uh, with Rutgers has at the Sam linebacker, which is kind of part linebacker, part safety. Um, he's a guy that was, was a little under-recruited, and, and you don't get a ton of attention up in Massachusetts as football recruits. So uh, he's a guy that, that I'm really going to keep an eye on, and, and, and you know, I, I think uh, – some teams might have, might have dropped a ball on that one because, you know, he only had, you know, five, six offers or whatnot, and, and it wasn't as busy as a recruitment as it would have been if he was in another state, say, like New Jersey. But um, he's a guy I would
0: definitely keep an eye on. You know, looking at the offensive line, Jonah Jackson leaves as a graduate transfer, which, you know, can't sugarcoat it. It's a big hit to next year's line. And, of course, new offensive line coach Pete Rassimondo. They brought in junior college offensive lineman Amari Cooper in this year's class should fans expect him to slot into that offensive line opening? You know, is the staff expecting him to ultimately be the one to replace Jonah Jackson on the line?
1: You know, they brought him in to, to play right away. They didn't bring a junior college guy in for depth, um, but they're going to use him at a tackle position. They're going to try him at left tackle, but, he. you know, his, his assistant coach told me even, he said he, he's more of a right tackle. He's, he's probably better suited to play that spot, so if that's the case, you can move Kamal Seymour inside, which is probably a, a truer position for him. But I, I think uh, you know it's going to be interesting to see in spring ball because you know uh, Pete Rosamundo is going to have a whole different philosophy than AJ Blazek. So um, where he sees guys fitting in is going to be different than what we're used to. So it'll be interesting to see where he tries out guys. Now they're also looking at grad transfer Ryan Alexander with one of the remaining spots left. And he's a, he's a guy that Rutgers is really high on. And he's a guy you know, transferring from South Alabama could probably come in and start right away. Um, He's only got one year, and that's what he's looking to do. So um, if he would come in, you know, it would be interesting to see him and Cooper kind of hold down those tackle spots. But I think is a bigger loss than people might think because uh, he he was tough on the inside in some games. You know, his play might have gotten overlooked because, you know, there were lopsided decisions in some of those, those games against Big Ten opponents. But he really held his own, and I think you see that by the level of interest that he's receiving as a transfer. Um, You know, there's a bunch of guys in the interior that are going to be battling for spots, and I think if you move Seymour in there, it gets really interesting, but um, a lot is going to hinge on the play of that offensive line. So, um, you know, hiring a new offensive line coach is is going to be key, and and when you look at the end of the season, I think a lot of the offensive performance is going to be dictated by how that O-line fared.
0: Recruiting Florida has really been important for Rutgers in the past, and it seemed like the staff started to put more of an emphasis on the state during this cycle receiver Isaiah Washington, safety TJ Robinson, do you believe this is going to become a trend for the coaching staff, considering, look, Florida is obviously filled with tons of talent?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I think they are going to stretch into there. Noah Joseph has some good relationships, uh, recruited Florida when he was with Indiana, and he's been faring well, and, and you know, it, it's tough sometimes in Florida, because, you know, there's so many schools recruiting it, and and you really have to do your homework. And, and, you know, you look at some players, maybe they get a little overrated because they're from Florida. So you really kind of have to do your due diligence. But I do see it as a spot that, that they will continue to recruit because it's just a hotbed of talent. You can get some, some quality guys out of there. Sometimes they get overlooked. I mean, it just takes a concerted effort. And When you have a guy like Joseph down there who knows the lay of the land that has a good relationship with the coaches, um, that could pay off. But I do see them – you know, pushing a little more towards Florida and, and, like I said, beyond the state of New Jersey because it's, it's, you know, I hate to reiterate it, but if some of these kids just don't want to stay and stay, you have to expand your reach. And, and what better place than Florida? I mean, it's just talent is, is, is greatly abundant down there.
0: You know, I want to look at the transfers as well. Johnny Langan, Drew Singleton, Matt Alemo, Langan from BC, Singleton from Michigan, Alemo from UCLA. The three of them, three highly rated New Jersey guys that went elsewhere and decided to come back home, assuming they all receive waivers to play right now, with Singleton and Alemo specifically, is it right to assume that even if they're not starters heading into the year, they are going to play significant roles, Alemo offensively and of course Singleton defensively?
1: Yeah, you, know, you mentioned Alemo. Um I, I like him a lot. I think he's, he's you know, he's pretty much a borderline four star recruit. Um, John McNulty loves to use the tight ends. Um, they need tight ends. Um, he's going to play if he gets the waiver. He's going to play quite a bit. Um, you know, there, there's sets where they use two, sometimes three tight ends at a time, and, and there just isn't the numbers there. So he's going to be artificially pushed into action, but he could also play. So um, I think you'll see, you'll see him get quite a bit of action. And Singleton, you know, The jury's still out on him. I mean, he was the number one rated recruit in New Jersey, you know, top 100 in the country coming out of high school, but had a knee injury his senior year. Didn't play a heck of a lot since then. um, When he opened up his recruitment as a transfer, you know, there wasn't a ton of interest. So, um, you know, it's still kind of a wait and see. And if you're playing him at the weak side position, you have Tyshawn there, who's another former four-star, you know, he, he's, he had the best spring of anybody last year. Um, it didn't kind of translate. They were kind of waiting for him to take over for uh, Trevor Morris. But um, I think he could make a jump this year. But I think if you have both of them and they're both playing well, you can experiment with one of them at the middle linebacker position because Rutgers did lose out on Juwan Mitchell, who had to go back to uh, junior college. He was scheduled to come in and be the starter at the Mike position. So you definitely need some some uh, someone to step up in that role. So it'll be interesting if both Clark and and Singleton play well during the spring and Singleton gets the waiver, assuming. um, I think it'll be interesting to see how they kind of, you know, uh, position those two guys.
0: A couple more, Bobby, before we let you go. You know, Zamar Wise and Brian Uguu both committed to Rutgers. Neither of them have yet to sign. What can fans expect going forward with both of them? And, you know, assuming they eventually arrive at Rutgers, what's kind of going on with both of their situations? And if they were to arrive at Rutgers, What is the plan for both of them going forward?
1: Both situations are different. I mean, Wise, you know, if you sign Wise early and and he doesn't qualify, then you lose the scholarship. So, um, you know, I think it's just more or less let's wait and see and make sure the academics are in order. And, you know, even if they're not, I could see a situation where he goes prep school kind of. What Rutgers has done in the past with guys, you know, you look back with guys like Eric Waits, and, and you know, way back as far as Delon Stevenson, guys who went prep for for a semester. Uh, Eddie Lewis did it more recently. Um, you know, he could kind of fall into that category. huh is, is um, you know, he's just a kid of a, a matter of a, a kid who waited a little too long, and, and his options kind of ran out. Rutgers still wanted him. But, um, you know, there's just not a lot of room. So that's what you see with the letter of intent. And there's so many different options they can work out with guys where, you know, first year, you know, you might not be on scholarship, you might be. Uh, there's a lot of gray areas there. So um, I think he winds up at Rutgers. Um, and it's kind of, you know, where he kind of wanted to go in the beginning and, you know, just got caught up in the recruiting aspect and, and, and just an example of a guy who waited too long, you know get 15 offers in the spring and then come signing day, you know, the options re- were really drastically reduced. So um, I-, I think you see him wind up at Rutgers. Um, Zamar, you know, it- it's a matter of, of, can he get the academics right? And, you know, it- it- it's just a wait and see with that one, but there's two open ships left in, I think if if he gets everything together, the staff still wants him. I could see him coming in, though, and and transitioning to receiver uh, before long. That's where I ultimately see him winding up.
0: All right, last one. You know, recruiting is, I think, so much fun to watch because it really never stops. You know, the 2019 cycle just ended, and now fans are looking at 2020. What are some names that Rutgers fans should have their eyes on that the Scarlet Knights will, you know, be in on come the 2020 recruiting class?
1: You know, it's such a wide range now. I mean, I just wrote something about Malachi Melton um, from uh, Cedar Creek. He, he's a guy, you know, in-state, Bo Melton's his younger brother. Uh, he's a guy to keep an eye on in-state. Um, but, you know, out-of-state, there's just so many offers going out, you know, to guys at different places so i I think right now if if you're looking at names you're kind of just throwing stuff at the wall and hope it sticks because it's so early in the process now Rutgers is going to have a junior day coming up um the weekend of the 23rd it hasn't been set yet saturday or sunday um you know they're not going to bring in elite guys because what they're going to do this time around is is bring in um those guys for unofficial personal visits so you know they can kind of get a more one-on-one um relationship going with the guys and, and you'll see a bunch of guys come up for junior day later this month. Um, you know, they, they might not be the elite ones, but we'll still be quality players. Um, and, and then you'll start to see it come out. I mean, I, I get asked that a lot. Which 2020s are they in on? You know, I don't see any early commitments right now as far as unless there's a, somebody this comes out of the woodwork. Um, but you know, like I said, Melton—they've been on for a long time. A guy like that, a legacy, um, Someone who knows the program, someone whom they've been on—that that's somebody you can keep an eye on early. But other than that, you know, they offer like yeah. I say, going out all over the country. One went out to California the other day. You know, you're going to Florida, you're going, you're going everywhere. So um, I think that'll become more clear as you get in the later March and April, and, and guys start to narrow things down, and you start to get a better feel of who really is on the radar and who's a realistic target.
0: Bobby Darren of Twenty Four Seven Bobby, thanks so much for coming on and talking some Rutgers football recruiting here on the podcast. All right, thanks for having me. I want to thank Bobby for coming on episode 30 of the podcast. As I was opening this episode, I mentioned just how much fun following recruiting is. It really never ends. The 2019 class just signed and now we all have our eyes on who will be the first few commits for 2020. This 2019 class, however, will make an impact. Bobby mentioned it. Aaron Young, K-Ron Adams, Amari Cooper... The three transfers, Matt Alamo, Drew Singleton, Johnny Langan, all these guys and more very well may have a big impact on how next season turns out. It was great that Rutgers fended off some fellow Big Ten schools and were able to keep some important commits in the fold. But while all eyes now turn to 2020 recruiting, the success of that 2020 class will hinge largely on the success on the field this year. Can Rutgers rebound from 1 and 11 last year? If they do, that will go a long way in having a highly rated 2020 class. If they don't, then recruiting in 2020 will be that much more difficult. I am sure that myself, as well as everyone listening, we all want the same thing. We want to see this program be successful and hope that Chris Ash and his staff and this team really bounce back next year. Only time will tell. The season is about six and a half months away. Until we see the product on the field on August 30th against UMass, all we can do is hope that 2018 is a thing of the past and this team finds success here on the Banks. Follow On The Banks on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Just search On The Banks Podcast.